Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Take your Bible, Romans chapter 2. Stand to your feet, those of you who are with us uh, and and have never seen us do this. We don't stand up and down every time we read the Bible, but we do the first time. The first time, it's just our way of acknowledging that this is God's holy word. And, uh, and we surrender our lives to his word. And so we stand in reverence to his word as we read through our primary passage, Romans chapter two. Uh, this is our fifth installment in our Romans teaching series. And, uh, and so far it's been absolutely awesome giving you a little bit of time to find Romans chapter two. We're gonna read verses one through uh, about five. Here we go. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is? With you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because, of, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are in this room. We can sense you. We can feel your presence in this room. Over the course of the next few minutes, Father, we give you full access to our hearts and to the very depths of our hearts. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to just begin to move in our hearts and soften our hearts. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather together this morning to strengthen our faith, to build our faith, to be in this moment with you. Lord, let this be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray and together everybody said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Back in 1999, I was driving a Camaro. It was Viking purple to be exact. And I was young and I loved the idea of how fast this car was. So me and a friend late at night found a mall parking lot and we said, let's race from one side to the other. And so we did, and while we were racing, I had this idea, where's my music, right? Where's my music? So I'm racing, I look down to adjust my music, and I look up, light pole, head on. True story, busted my nose, bloodied myself all over the place. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm like, I gotta get out of here, right? My dad's going to, he's gonna do something to me. I don't have a picture of of that car accident. That is a true story, by the way. But I do have a picture of another guy who's, I don't know who this is, but there's there's more than just me, right? There are some car accidents that it doesn't take anybody but yourself to have a bad car accident. A few years ago, my dad and I were hunting. We would do so every October, November. After a whole week of hunting, a whole week of hunting, didn't see no bucks, no bucks, disappointed after a whole week of hunting. And on the way home, I'm driving, I pull out onto the highway and within minutes, boom, a buck. True story. 
the cop pulls over and I'm like, I have a tag, can I just take this thing home with me? And he said, yeah, you sure can. But the reason why I came is you took your, Never mind. Anyway, that's a true story. Uh, I don't have a picture of that, but has this ever happened to you? You guys got to know that, what, you know, I'm learning how to try to teach like Neil, and he always starts with some cool pictures. So this is part of the fun of when it's my turn of like, I've got to find enough, a picture that's funny enough to get everyone to kind of laugh a little bit. Have you ever had this happen? So this is car accidents that happen where it's not somebody else's fault, but it's somebody's fault, right? In this case, these guys... Um, right here. So we're all drivers. Take a look at this. This is not my picture, but we're all to be aware of some blind spots. You learned this, right? Early on in driver's ed, you learned that as you're driving a vehicle, that you're to be careful because uh, blind spots are actually there. And, 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 and so blind spots, uh, here's what we know, 800,000, 800,000 accidents a year that are blamed on blind spots. Drivers, actually, I couldn't see. I looked, I looked, I used my mirrors. I couldn't see, I couldn't see. Here's what we know about every driver. Every single driver has blind spots. We know that, you know that. As you drive home today, you know that you will have some blind spots. Okay, so let's take the conversation from driving to now living, right? That's why we're here. You're not here to learn how to drive, how to, you're here to learn how to live, right? We're here to learn how to live based on what God's word says. So let's take the conversation from, from, from driving to living and ask ourselves this question, what are my blind spots? Like, what, what are the things that, that I struggle with? And uh, here's what we know about every single person in this room, believe or non-believer, is that every one of us, we have these in our life. If you were to just go to Google and put in there, what are blind spots in life? I did that just to see what the answers would be. Here's some of them. When you live life by yourself, that's a blind spot. When you are uh, exhibiting insensitive behavior, you've got some blind spots. I, these are not my words. This is what Google says. Uh, when you have an I know attitude, that's a blind spot indicator. When you avoid conflict, that's a blind spot indicator. When you, uh, when you find yourself tolerating poor behavior, that's a blind spot. In, you know, so, so in the Christian world and in, as believers, it's possible that over the course of time, we can become desensitized to things, right? They become like blind spots, so to speak. So maybe you've been in the church long enough to where the, the convictions that you once held dear to your heart as, you know, as a young believer are no longer kind of, you know, they're less sensitive, right? Maybe you've become a little bit more judgmental. Maybe you're here today in a room this size, surely there's a few of us, I'm, I hope I'm not the only one, where you would say like, yeah, there's some things in my mind and in my heart that I definitely need to work through. Like I wouldn't tell Pastor Neil about some of the things that I'm struggling with. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're like, yeah, there's some things in my mind that are not right. They're not right. They don't line up with God's word. I know they don't, but I, these are real feelings. I really do feel this way about those people. Or I really do think those things about my spouse. I really do think those things about my, like I, those are real things in my life. They probably shouldn't be there. I should probably come around to addressing them, but you're still in church. You're still leading your group. You're still attending your group. Like you're this in this crazy tension of like, things aren't completely right with me and God, but I'm still kind of going through the motions, okay? This message is going to really help us get to a place where we can get made right with God. I think that would be everyone's kind of main 
priority of being here. How many of you just would, I just want to be made right with God. I just want to be in right standing with God, right? So, so Romans chapter 2, we're, we're just going to get going. Actually, just the first word of that chapter is you. And I think it's important. We, we need to stop right here because uh, there, there's something we have to catch. It'll help us actually understand what Paul is trying to say. So, so here's the question with this word you is this. Who is Paul actually talking to? When he says you, who is Paul talking to? We, we need to understand who it is that, because that, if you just pick up your Bible and you begin to read in chapter two, if you just, you know, sometimes when you want to start a Bible plan or you just want to read your Bible for the day, some people just close it, they find a spot and they open it. And then they just start wherever. And sometimes it's exactly what you needed for the day, right? In this case, if you started at Romans chapter 2, you would, you would miss something that's really, really important. Um, because you would just see like, well, Paul is angry. He is slapping the mess out of whoever he's writing this letter to at this point in time. He, he, is, he is for sure unhappy because, uh, okay, so here's what we would miss. If you just go back into chapter one, which we have now spent several weeks, four, four weeks talking through Romans one. If you just, just, if you have your Bible, just look back into the last uh, couple sentences of that. And I'll just kind of pull out a few. Uh, I'm looking at verse 19. They know the truth about God. Kind of go down a little bit. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him. They began to think up foolish ideas. If I just keep kind of going down, they instead became utter fools. Uh, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin and greed and hate and envy and murder. And they are backstabbers. They invent new ways. They refuse to understand. They know God's justice, right? So, so, so that's what we, what we miss here is that he goes from they to the very first word of chapter two to you, which maybe isn't a big deal to you, but if you wonder if we can catch this, then we'll realize how important this really is. He goes from like this, this they to you, this third person singular. And, and why, why is he doing that, right? So, so he goes from chapter one, they, to chapter two, you. And up until this point, you've got to think that he's writing this this letter to a body of believers, right? So, so maybe, he, in, you know, he's thinking about the Jews and, and he's, chapter one is more about like the Gentiles, the, the ones who were wicked, the ones that had nothing to do with God. And, and, and he's talking about hate and murder and sexual sin and disobeying parents and gossip. And, and I can just imagine as this letter is being read, because you would know that they, they didn't have the Bible like we have it. So, you know, likely somebody was up and just reading this letter from Paul to the church and everyone's just kind of soaking it in, right? They're just sponging all of Paul's words. And up until this point, it's just been they and they and, and they and they and, and sort of like, well, let me just pause for a second. You might be here today. You just might be, every once in a while, there's people here that are, while we're speaking, they have their own thoughts happening. And maybe you have this thought that, hey, if, if we, didn't, we didn't park the bus on a Sunday and talk specifically about some of these things, maybe specifically the sexual sin thing, because that's pertinent to 
culture today and why didn't, is, is Neil ducking maybe a conversation that should be had in the church and like they, you know, this is prevalent around us. We just felt like he, just a few months ago, he preached a message on holy sexuality, not giving his stance or our stance on, on, on sexual sin, but what God's word says about it. You can, if, if you're curious about that, just go to our website and just put in holy sexuality. It'll pull up, click it. He still looks the same. His hair is the same. He's just as thin. It wasn't long ago at all. We're not ducking the conversation at all. You'll see, go list. It's one of the best messages I've ever heard on sexuality. It's there for you. They're all in the archives. Feel free to do that. Um, but anyway, Here's what I kind of see as, as he's writing this letter, I see my house, we have this bay window. It's one of my favorite views in our home. I see like the church kind of looking at, out this bay window of the sin of the Gentile world, this wickedness, this evil. And he's writing and talking about murder and, there, and I could just hear the church. It's like, that's right, Paul. Talk about it, brother. Talk about it. I'm sure if there, you know, there's any brothers like, hey, man, come on. Yes, yes. And they're like, shh, finish. You know, I, I see them gathering kind of at this, at this bay window. And then he, so let's just read through the first verse. You may think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad and you have no excuse. And I just see everybody at the bay window just kind of like, like, shh, you can hear a pin drop. They, 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 you. And then the window kind of becomes um, a mirror. This window, looking out at everybody else's sin, now becomes a mirror. And now he's not talking about them. He is now talking about <laughs> you. Who? who? Who is he actually, like who is he talking to? Right, the, the, the rest of that verse goes on. Let's go back up just one slide just to get the second part of that verse. When you say that they are wicked, and they were, and should be punished, and they should have been, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And I just think they're looking at, they're not gonna look around at this point, right? They're not gonna look around at this time. See, this teaching style using this fixed, fictitious character, this you, like who exactly, who, is, is this was a kind of common way of teaching. It was a common way of like getting everybody to leave, sort of like if the shoe fits, wear it. Like you, whoever you are, right? Who, whoever is listening to this letter and this applies to you, then go ahead and kind of apply this to you. But let's just think for a moment, Paul's never been to this church in Rome. Paul doesn't really know who he's writing to other than this vibrant church uh, filled with believers, right? They're doing great things. The Bible says that, but he doesn't know them. He hasn't been there quite yet, but he's very familiar with the Jewish culture. He's very familiar with these kinds of people. Remember, he was a very radical one at some point, right? So he's very familiar with the teaching styles. He knows kind of who he's talking to. And really he's addressing like this, this, this person like that's morally superior, like like they're within their own hearts, within, within the hearts of the Jews at this time, there truly was like a distance between themselves and like everybody else. Like there was a distance between the believer and like everybody else. And Paul knows this about them, right? Maybe they have this feeling, well, they do have this feeling where they kind of feel like they're just a little bit above 
everybody else. That's why they have no problem sitting at the bay window seeing everybody else's sin. They have no problem looking out the bay window and realizing and, and recognizing the sin, the wickedness, the evil happening in the world around them, right? They have no problem doing any of that. And it's really not this, the, the tension is really not so much that they're judging other people as much as it is that they're actually guilty of the same things. Like that's really the heart of the issue. It's not that you're so judgmental because they are, but it's actually, but you actually have this, you're guilty of the same kind of sin. Like read the whole verse, read, read all those things, right? Guilty of that for sure. So we're gonna have to skip back down to guilty of the same, th- same things. Like that's the heart of this thing. So then we go on to verse number two. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such thing, anyone. Again, here's, here's Paul's way of going about sort of leveling the playing field. Yes, it's true about all that we see, but now let's look within and realize that there's actually sin within. There's actually sin within. And if you're willing to, to kind of look in the mirror, you'll know, you'll notice things will surface that there's actually still sin in your own hearts. In your own hearts, right? So, so, so the sin of the believer, like in context, we see how real Paul is being. Like he's, he's kind of like the Jew versus the Gentile, right? Like the, the ongoing belief of like moral superiority and the wickedness and the distance between themselves and the Gentiles. So maybe today that's not the divide because we're, we're not there with them. That, that... That, you know, so the question would be, what's the divide for us today? Some would say, well, it's definitely the donkey and the elephant. Like, that's the divide. There could be some truth to that. Maybe the divide would be like black and white. Maybe that's the great divide. Could be true. Maybe the divide is maybe the rich and the poor. There's these divides. Paul's talking about a great divide. I would say... And I think what Paul is saying, the divide there is actually so applicable today. You know, I would, it, it could be the church versus everybody else. Maybe that's the great big divide. Maybe that's the big divide that still exists today. I mean, you have to come to terms with that yourself. Like, is that sort of kind of how we go about things today? Because a lot of people, this is their view of the church. Like, that's what we do. We sit at the bay window of our beautiful buildings and we just point the finger at people. We point the finger at their wickedness. We point the finger at their sin. We point the finger at, of, at their shortcomings. We just, we just point the finger at people so much. So much. And if you're not one of the we's, excuse me for categorizing you. But a lot of us, including myself, we like to sit at the bay window of the church with our finger pointed at people, just kind of acknowledging their sin, making sure that they're aware of their own sin. Jesus talked about this in Matthew. These are his words. Jesus said, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Jesus said that. I drew a quick picture just to kind of illustrate this. I mean, Pretty accurate, right? The church is, maybe the church is guilty of this a little bit. Maybe that's why Paul takes the time to actually address this. Maybe today we're not gonna sit out looking at, out the bay window and, and realizing the condition of the cities. 
and just the wickedness, can't believe this and can't believe this and so-and-so didn't do this and -and so-and-so didn't do that. And maybe today we'll actually take Paul's advice and just take the mirror out a little bit and let the gospel do what the gospel does to the heart, which is kind of wash over it, right? Smooth out rough edges. Because even though we believe in Jesus Christ and we've committed our life to him, we acknowledge that we're still wrestling through some sinful behaviors in our own lives and hearts. Maybe, I don't know, just a suggestion. So let's go to Romans 2, 4 says, don't you see... How wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Maybe you've been at this thing so long. Maybe we've been at this thing so long that we've, it doesn't mean as much as it used to. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's why he's been patient. That's why he's so kind. Because he's waiting on you and me to turn from your sin. In the message translation, I like the ending of it. It it, it says, takes us firmly by the hand like a dad would his son. Like a dad would his daughter in the middle of the night. Takes, Takes firmly by the hand and leads us into... Radical life change. That's why he's so kind. That's why he's being patient so that you can make that turn, that radical life change. The NIV translation says it this way, intended to lead you to repentance. See, at the bay window, you recognize them people need to repent. Them ungodly, wicked, evil people, they need to repent. And yes, you're right, they absolutely do. But the mirror now says... That dude needs to repent. We've we've referenced this so much when we think about the wickedness of people. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. And we've often said, yeah, he's being patient because this world, because this world, because this world. And Paul's suggestion, hey, he's, he's being patient for your turnaround. For your repentance. Yes, for them, for sure. For all of those who have people we love so much, we pray for their souls all the time. All the time. There's not a prayer that goes by. We don't think about those that we love most who are disconnected from God. Yes, yes, yes. He's also being patient for those of us who are wrestling through some things in our own hearts too. He's being patient with us. That's the purpose of his kindness. That's why he's being kind. Let's get back to our primary text. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourselves. And that's true for every person who refuses Christ. I mean, that, that's what happens. Your heart becomes hardened, calloused. It reminds, what, what Paul's doing right here reminds me of a man... I used to frequent the jails in Colorado a lot. Every week for years, I would go in and do Bible studies with inmates. And there was this man, he was there all the time. And, and every time he had his opportunity, he would gather these inmates and, and he would just plead with these, most of these men half his age. 
after 20 years of serving jail, going through the whole system, just one of those guys, but has now experienced like just, just true freedom in, in his own life. His heart now is for those that remind him of himself. So he's in, this, he's in the jails with inmates all around him pleading with them. Make better choices. You can get through this. It starts with one good choice. I mean, he's that guy that we would all hope that if our son is in there or daughter's in there, is that, that they're gathered around him coming from a place of passion. He's been there. Paul's been there coming from a place of passion, pleading with them. And I feel like that's exactly what, what Paul is doing with us. I feel like this is exactly what God is doing for us right now in this moment. Paul, in, in, in the word, is like he's acknowledging, yes, yes, it's true that through the window you see wickedness. Yes, it's true that the world we live in is filled with, with sin. Yes, yes, it's, it's not good what people are doing. Yes, those decisions hurt the heart of God for sure. All of those things rejecting Jesus. That is not a good thing. Yes, 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 yes. And then he goes to the mirror. But he's saying, but because of your sin, there's now a broken relationship with Jesus. You see, when you accept Christ into your life, you are made right with God. But then when you begin to have this sin in your own heart, it breaks that relationship. And that's why repentance, that's why repentance is really the answer because that's what makes us right with God. So yes, everybody on the outside needs to repent. But everybody on the inside also needs to repent. Neil talked about this a few times about, you know, the whole truth, right? You can sell, tell some truth, but not t tell the whole thing. That's the power of the whole gospel. The whole gospel is that it's so powerful that its arm can reach down to the very lowest of lows and get the sinner, the wicked, evil sinner, the one that doesn't even deserve it. The power of the gospel even reaches people like that. But the whole gospel is also for the, for the believer, the one whose heart is broken, the one that, whose heart is wrestling, and the power of the gospel makes us right with God. It mends our relationship back to God. It's the whole gospel. It's for all of them, and it's for all of you. It's for all of you, the gospel. It takes me to this picture of being a stone in a river submerged and the water just washing over you and washing over you and washing over you. It's like every time you come on Sunday, imagine yourself being that stone and this being the river and the gospel just washing over you, just washing over you, just knocking off rough edges. It's the power of the gospel. Maybe when you find yourselves outside of God, the community, outside of God's word, you find yourself outside of being around the right people. That's when that rock, that stone begins to build some rough edges again. Things start going out sideways. So what's the application of this thing? Like, where do we go from here? I mean, thought I was going to cry when I did this like Neil. 
Crystal, <laughs> Crystal knows that when I do this, I'm hungry or thirsty. It's different signals. She bring, your wife brings you tissue, my wife brings me something to drink. So for sure, the great divide, the application for us is like acknowledging that there is some application to this thing for us. Do you remember when the story where, where Samuel was sent to, to anoint the next king, God tells him to go to Bethlehem, find this man named Jesse, and Jesse has this baseball team of men. And, and so Samuel shows up and he sees the firstborn, and he's super good looking, super tall, and he just thinks that's gotta be the next king. And it wasn't, next son, next son, it wasn't. And, and this is what God said to, to, to Samuel was, look, you're looking at all the outside things. Like men look at the outside, the physique, the, the outside appearance. That's what men look at. That's not what I look at. He said, the Lord looks at the heart. And I think what Paul's pleading the people to do is, listen, you might be getting away with some of the ongoing sin in your life because you've just been you're just good at it you've, you've done it so long that you're kind of even desensitized to your own sinful behavior but you're not fooling God because he sees it he sees the heart he sees right through the smoke he sees it the greatest impact of his word in my life the greatest impact that the word has in my life is when it goes from being a window to a mirror. When I start reading the Bible saying, God, what are you saying to me? Not them, me. And you know, the greatest impact that this book will have in your life is when it goes from being a window to a mirror. That's what Paul's saying. The big so what for us is this, less time at the window and more time in the mirror. Less time looking out at the sin and evil and wickedness of this world around us. And yes, it's true. Yes, 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 yes. No one's debating any of that but also what's happening in here because it matters to him so much. I talked about blind spots at the beginning and you know, cars have adjusted and now they have sensors everywhere. So you can be driving if your car happens to go into another lane and there's a vehicle in a blind spot, it'll actually kind of pull itself back in. If you have a fancy car, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or something beeps. Beep, 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 Like blind spot, blind spot, blind spot, blind spot. So what are those blind spots? Like what, what, it, what are those blind spots for Christians? Like, you know, the, our big now what is, here's some blind spots for us. God's word. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a blind, that's, that helps me to stay sensitive to God's spirit. Got to have the word of God in me. 
The second is godly community. You remember this, we just went through this, Acts 2, 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the teaching and to worship and to sharing meals and to prayer. That's another way to keep your heart sensitive to God, to, to stay surrounded, right? To, to listen, to learn, to gather, to pray, to share meals. Like those, those are good things for you. If you haven't been doing those things, you'll know. You'll become desensitized to things in life. The last one is God's spirit. That's the, that's the beep, 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 happening. That's the Holy Spirit, right? Psalm 143, 10 says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Spirit of God, lead me every day, every moment, everywhere. Lead me. These are the sensors that we put in our lives so that we can stay away from the blind spots. Listen, today, our call is to repentance. Like this beautiful mirror here is for us, not for them. And today, I'm not going to do this if you're here person thing. There's too many of us. There's too many of us. There's too many of us to be made right with God. Repentance.